welcome to Studio Meat Live. Well, hello, this is Studio V Live. I'm your host, David Burns, along with my wife, Sherry. Hello. And we're with Long Lane Honeybee Farms. It's good to be with you all today for another broadcast from our apiary about honeybees. And we're looking forward to getting into some good topics today. But we want to start off by saying it's always a pleasure to be with you. And uh, Sherry, I thought this was a funny email we could start off with. Yeah, Kenny wrote and said, not sure if you know us, but November 8th was the last podcast you made. Some of us are dying for the next one. Don't make me pull out the big guns and call to beg Sherry. Oh, sincerely, your 11th listener. I like that. What do you mean, call to beg me? <laughs> like, please, Sherry. You're like, the, you answered the phone. Like I'm the one that's keeping, keeping the train from pulling out of the station? <laughs> no, actually, Kenny, it was, that, that's a funny email. But we, you know, it's just one of those things. We are, around here, our business um, starts up about December. And I know that's not true for um, a lot of other bee companies, but because there are some, David, that actually close. You know, during the month of December, mm-hmm. and but not us. We are we start off in December, and mm-hmm. and uh, by the time we get into January, we are doing nothing nonstop but answering phones, building hives, explaining bee bee problems, talking to people, teaching classes, running for supplies, mm-hmm. on and on and on it goes. But it's nice to be. Missed. It is. It's nice to be back at the microphone. Here's another one related to that same topic. It says, David, I'm delighted because you and your lovely wife <laughs> are a bright light in what are challenging economic times. We need a laugh, and you always seem to hit the perfect tone. This is from John. Oh, that's funny, too. Yeah. Okay, well, so let's let's tell John and Kenny, because <laughs> they might be the only ones listening, <laughs> Exactly how we are. How are you, David? Well, I'm doing really good. I think, you know, I told you the other day that I've never felt this good in all my life. <laughs> and I'm, I'm 50 you mean, you mean health-wise, men- mentally, you know, things could always be better, you know, but uh, you, you learn to be content with the way things are. And, but as far as my health and my outlook on life and well-being, I've never felt better. And it's unusual for... Winter, I always kind of like yeah. get kind of blue in the winter because I'm always anxious for the summer. Uh, maybe it's the vitamin D that we've been taking or something like that, but I feel good. I'm very healthy and uh, excited about spring. Yeah, yeah, it's been going good here. Um, I don't think anything major has happened, but it has everything's been flowing and doing good, and uh, we're all happy and healthy and, and all the better for the... Um, Winter time, and but we are looking at really getting things popping here in the next week, six weeks or so with all the, the bee packages coming in. And, you know, we sold out of bee packages really fast this year. We did. Too fast. Yeah, we start selling in November, and I think by the 1st of February we were sold out, which is not is not um, common for, well, I shouldn't say not common for us, but I think the first year we did it, you know, we were still selling packages in May and June, and then the next year I think we sold out by the by the first of April, and then the next year it was the first of March, and this year it's been the first of February, and so y'all are gonna have to get on that, you know, when you want packages, because we just hate for people to call us and not have any. But remember, we start selling in November, 
So that's when you need to, to get on the um, wagon to find out, you know, what what you need for the year. We could do more packages perhaps, but and we're doing more this year, by the way, but there's only so many you can do. <laughs> I mean, yeah. physically, even if the bees were there, there's only so long that you can go and shake bees and put them together and, you know, build the cages and we're having the cages. You know, it's just... <sighs> there it says a lot. <laughs> There's only so many that you can do, and it's like, okay, you know, we're not a huge uh, place where we have 35 people doing it out there, so it's a little bit tougher. Yeah, that's a good point. There is just a finite limit to us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And this is all we can do, folks. <laughs> yeah. We do about a thousand packages a year, and uh, that's. Uh, you know, can we do more? Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. Um, Sherry, you've been doing a lot of talk, uh, research about organic honey. Do you know anything enough to uh, tell us what, what is organic honey and is it really something that beekeepers can achieve? That will be our opening. Well, okay. Yeah, there is a different. I mean, y- you might see labels and some labels are going to say organic. Some are going to say raw. Some are going to say natural. Some are going to say pure, you know, and sometimes all those different labelings can be confusing to people. They want to know uh, which one should I put on my label as a beekeeper. And then, of course, there's consumers that are thinking, okay, which one is the best one for consumers? So you have to kind of do a little bit of research into that and find out what it is that you can do. Of course, here in the U.S., you can't put organic on it unless you have been certified organic. Your your honey operation has been certified organic. And that seems to be, um, you can go to my uh, blog, which is at sherryburns.blogspot.com, and Sherry is spelled S-H-E-R-I, Burns, B-U-R-N-S, and look at it a little bit more. But the standards for organic honey seem to be, um, kind of vague at best. There's there's a lot of different things that they want you to do, but none of it is really provable or, you know, nobody would know if you're in compliance with it or not. You know, for instance, a couple of examples are your your hives have to can only be painted with latex and um, your hives have to be four or five miles from any fields that are sprayed with chemicals, that sort of stuff. And, and certainly you can prove if you're four or five miles but since bees actually get up and leave and we and we can't follow them, you don't know for sure where they're going. You don't have any idea if they've landed on an, an, an unorganic source and have brought mm-hmm. things back to the, you know. So it's it's yeah. really, you know, it's hard to prove it. It's hard to stay in compliance or, or you know, your certifier might be, you know, different from state, state to state. It's not a bad thing to do. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that it's a bad to try to go for organic. But it, it's just, it's one of those things that, unfortunately, with honey, I think it's very, very hard to prove. So if you do see that green USDA sticker that says organic, you don't necessarily know if it really, truly is organic. So the best thing next to that, of course, is getting raw honey. And you can put raw honey on your labels if you are a beekeeper that just takes it directly out of the hive with very minimal filtering, and you just put it right in the bottles. And that is raw honey. It's not been heated. It's not been processed in any way. Nothing Nothing's added, been added, yeah. Nothing added to it. Um, very minimal filtering, in fact, to it. In fact, if you see what we call floaties, that that's that means it's even better. <laughs> that's even, you know, even more raw. So that's that, that's probably the best bet. But even then, if you're a consumer and you're concerned about how um, 
how good and how pure that raw honey is, you need to know your beekeeper. Mm-hmm. You you need to go to the beekeeper and you need to ask very pointed questions. You know, how do you deal with pests and diseases? If that's a if that's a big deal for your family, mm-hmm. um, what kind of feed do you put into the hive? I you know I'd like to know if it's sugar or corn syrup or or any of those kinds of things. So you need to find out what is important to you, and you need to go ask your beekeeper. And that's the best way of getting um, raw honey. Yeah, organic, uh, you know, you can grow organic vegetables because you can have control over uh, either the soil or how close you are to where they're spraying fields. But when a bee goes out flying, even if you were in the middle of a place where everything around you was uh, organic, you know, how do you keep the bee from accidentally landing on a a tree that's been sprayed with seven for Japanese beetles. Not that it would taint the honey at all, but technically it would not then be called organic honey. So it's it's kind of a rough thing, and it. So I think some people think just because I don't use chemicals in my hive, then I I have organic honey. But you just have raw honey that without any treatment in your hive. And that could be a thing that people want to know on your labels. Yeah. Or at least maybe on your oh, yeah. your stand or at your store, wherever it is. Mm-hmm. You know, you can have a sign that says, you know, no chemicals were used, no antibiotics were used, no, you know, whatever was used. And people would probably, some people don't care, but some people would want to know that information. So that can certainly be a selling point for some folks. It's that way with milk. And when you buy milk, you know, you can buy organic milk. But then some people say, if you really knew what organic milk was, you wouldn't be all that excited. And <laughs> I don't know. Well, I think uh, I think it doesn't isn't organic milk isn't it still pasteurized and homogenized and all that? And uh, and it'd be nice to be able to drink raw milk. I uh-huh, think so that you don't uh-huh. have all you know because that. You know that they heat that milk up too, organic milk. They heat it up to that really high temperature, and then it, oh, it kills yeah. all that good stuff. And the same way with honey too. If they, if you heat it up really high, you kill all the beneficial enzymes and the antioxidants, and mm-hmm. and sometimes those vitamins and nutrients, you know, are gone when you heat that up. So and changes the flavor. Yeah, it does. Okay. So yeah. it'd, it'd be nice to even or, so even organic milk is still pasteurized and homogenized, but we don't sell milk. No, <laughs> I just thought about. I was thinking about organic. I like organic milk. I like the taste of it. You know, when people buy our honey for the first time, it, and they're coming off of store-bought honey, they always say, "Oh, it was so different. It was so good. I can't believe it." Well, it is different tasting because of that reason. We don't heat it. Um, it's from you know more of a probably a variety of flowers in the Midwest that they're different. They're, they're not used to tasting because some of the honey that's processed. In order to get that kind of volume, you have to dump honey in from everywhere, and it kind of blends all together. And the taste is not one or several particular floral sources. It can be many, and it's just one big blend of taste. Hey, Sherry, these were interesting numbers that the... The, uh, just a few days ago, the Department of Ag released about beekeeping. It says the number of honeybee-producing colonies, oh, honey-producing colonies in the U.S. rose 7.4 percent, hmm. and honey production was up 20 percent. That's recently released in the Department of Ag. Do you think that 7.4 percent of more 
Honey producing bee colonies had anything to do with me and you? Yeah, I think we got all 7.4% of that that's a business. <laughs> Boy, and, it feels like it, doesn't it? Well, my honey production was up 20%. That's interesting. You know, but that was something we were talking about the other day that um, someone had had told you that we cannot produce all the honey mm-hmm. that people consume in the U.S., and that's why we have to go to Argentina and Canada and all those places and import um, more honey. But And see, it's up, and now it's up 20%, so I wonder what that means to that. But, but also, people need to start really thinking about buying locally, you know, and buying from your own beekeeper. Because I, I know that there are some beekeepers that are sitting on honey that they can't sell. They're probably poor marketers, but nonetheless, if you would find a local beekeeper, you might be able to, you know, get honey. And, and we need to do that for environmental reasons and business reasons and economic reasons and keeping your money local and keeping beekeepers in business and all that kind of stuff. That's so, right, yeah. So stop buying your honey from Argentina and Canada and those places and start looking for your local beekeepers. Yeah, yeah. You know, I have different stats not in front of me, but... We do stock over, stock honey each, you know, well, I guess, I guess some beekeepers keep it in stock. I'm not sure why, but it's in the millions. And we export, believe it or not, we export millions. I wish I knew the numbers. I just read them 30 minutes ago. So I read too many million, million figures, but it's something like 30 million that we export. Really? I I believe so. Wow. Wish I had my laptop. It was staggering. Oh, and by the way, Hmm. we don't. Wow. Up to this date, for the last 25 years, Sherry, America doesn't eat any more honey. We eat about, uh, we each person, if you divide the consumption, including the honey that we have to import, because we know we, we only eat, we can only produce about, let's see, less than half than of what we can, what we eat. We have to import the rest, but each American eats about one pound of honey, a little bit over a pound of honey a year. Oh, is that all? Isn't that awful? That's what I'm saying. I mean, huh. we we have t- we produce 20% more honey, but not because people huh. are eating more, but what they are eating, a lot of that, over half of that's imported. Wow. So we import it, but then we turn around and we export. Yeah. I don't know. Inter- yeah. Well, who can figure that out? And that's the way that it is with everything. We only eat a pound of... Why do we import gas? Why do we import that, gas that's and oil? Amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> Especially when I... You know, I've, you know, on my blog, I talk a lot about natural foods and whole foods and and um, real foods and and traditional foods. And everybody across the board says, you know, raw honey is the number one natural sweetener that you should be using above all else. And I still find that beekeepers do not cook with it. They don't bake with it. They don't use that outside of, you know, maybe spreading it on their toast or something like that. And we've got to get people back into really mm-hmm. using that as a primary sweetener. I saw that um, of all the states, they averaged out what each hive produced. And who, I mean, they didn't ask us, so that wasn't an act. I mean, it's not an I, I guess they have to take averages. But what each hive produces on average, and it was 58 pounds of honey per hive. Yeah. On average, some yeah. of them were way up there, you know, some were way down. But that's what we usually tell people in yeah. that 50, 60 pounds a year. Sometimes it can be 100. Yeah. One guy said he had 200 this year. I mean, you know. But yeah. that's interesting, interesting stats. And, you know, 
you can do anything with stats. You can make them say anything. And so I don't think you need to look into that further about all those little stats because I've got another sheet that tells more about the... <laughs> See, that one says 65 pounds per colony. But when I looked at the USDA's report, it averaged out to 58 pounds per colony. Well, I don't... Yeah. You may get that other report? Goes, no, that's okay. Not, we got enough to talk about. We do. We should throw that away. I I just think it's strange. I, I don't understand what this means. That uh, um, this report for, was from a Dennis Van Ingelsdorp, which is an entomologist with the Pennsylvania State University, and you spoke with him recently mm-hmm. yeah. on a on In a Chicago. panel. You guys yeah. were talking together. And he said that the reason we have these higher honeybee numbers now are a response to colony collapse disorder, that beekeepers are keeping more bees on hand during the year to withstand higher losses than the women's bees. Yeah, is, is he, so what he's saying is he seems to be implying or suggesting that the reason there's more hives now is because people fear they're going to die, so they're keeping more hives. And maybe some aren't dying and they're getting, it's going up a little bit. Yeah, well, I guess I can understand that. I, I do know that we encourage people to have at least two hives. Uh-huh. And I was talking to a, a man yesterday on the phone that called from Washington State, and he had said he had only had one, and he had lost it over the winter time, and he's just really, really depressed and disappointed. And I said, well, I understand that that, that would be, you know, disappointing to you, but, you know, you need to have 10 or 12 out there. <laughs> And then when you lose one, you know, it's not that big of a deal, That's you true. know, and you yeah. still have all those yeah. other ones to work with and, and you know, you know, switch eggs back and forth or whatever it is that, that you need to do. So may, may I guess that's why, I guess this is the same thing. I guess that's what he's saying. Yeah. Is instead of keeping one or two hives, which we could probably do back in the, right. gosh, David, what, back 80s, in the 60s early, and 70s? Even up to the early 80s. You, yeah. yeah, you could keep, you know, one or two. Just foul brood was all there was. In fact, we did when we first got started. We only had one or two, mm-hmm. and we kept those for years until that mite thing came right. along and yep. wiped them out. And yep. and now we do have to keep, you know, well, you know, we're different, you know, what we do here. But we do have to keep a ton to get. Okay, that makes sense. I understand what you're saying. Uh, you said the man was from Washington State. Uh, that's interesting, isn't it? I just thought, you know, Washington State. We do say Washington State. We don't say Illinois State. Is it called Washington State? Yeah. Well, I always say Washington State as opposed to Washington, D.C. Ooh, they're two different things, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> yes, David, they are two different things. That's the way I oh, say you, Washington way, <laughs> State and Washington, D.C. The way, the way that you said it is like, oh, I always say, you know, I always call you honey and I always call you hun instead of sherry. It's the same thing. But they're not the same thing. So so that's just a distinction. Because it, it's, you know, it's the state of Washington, right? That's right. But we call it Washington State? That's right. Who was the fellow that lives there? Do you remember his name, his first name? Um, Curtis. Oh, Curtis needs to let us know why we call it Washington State. I guess to dif- differentiate, like From you just Washington, said. Washington, D.C. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but look. Now you know why it takes us so long to make another podcast. You know, there was a criticism on our on our iTunes where you know the people have a 
opportunity to write comments at the Ooh. end. Yeah, and one guy wrote, uh, he didn't like our podcast because we get off the subject too much. Oh, that's so sad. <laughs> yeah, why aren't the rest of you that like us making a comment that, that could, we could bury his at the end of the list or something? <laughs> but in, in his defense, he's right. We pride ourselves in getting that's off right. the subject. This is entertainment. Beekeeping is fun, yeah. and people forget that. There mm-hmm. are very few people, except the big commercial guys, very few people that are dead serious about beekeeping to the point where it's a do-or-die situation. Oh, I'm kind of that way. <laughs> Be, well, you it know. It is do-or-die. It is. I mean, I'm, well, you're commercial when it comes to queen oh, rearing and okay. stuff. I'm talking about... The vast majority of beekeepers yeah. are hobbyists. They like it. They have fun with it. They enjoy getting together for club meetings. They come here. We have hundreds of people that come here every year for lessons and courses, and we have the most fun with these we people. We do. We do. And it's supposed to be fun. And we get off the subject when they're here sometimes. We get way off the subject. Not during classes. Just like we're doing now. Yeah. Anyway, let's get back on the subject. All right. So that guy won't look, he won't fall away. He'll stay with us. All right, let's move along, Sherry. I want to talk about equipment for a minute. We are going to be introducing a new piece of equipment, a new hive. Oh, yeah, we are. We're going to start carrying the top bar hive. Do, 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 do. <laughs> hey, you know, you doing that is cheaper than me buying these little filler music spots. I know. It costs money to buy those. It's $5 for, for one of those little spots. You're, you're affordable. I like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm affordable. Top, top bar hive. You know, I don't know. Top bar hives, um, we shouldn't get into the differences, should we? Because we sell both. So we really can't say one's better than the other. No, we can't say one's better than the other. They're used for kind of different different yeah reasons. yeah a car so, a car so and a truck you know there's know, differences yeah so certainly yeah. people need to kind of understand um what the differences are Here, here's what i'm thinking about it because i thought okay if we introduce top bar hives will some people say oh i just want top bar hives or some people say no i just want langstroth traditional hives and then when they call up they're going to say which one should i get i don't know which one's better they're going to use the word better which one is better? And then we're going to say, what do you mean by better? And they're going to say, oh, I don't know, you know, maybe it produces more honey. Which one is better at keeping the bees healthier? Which one is better at, and the truth of the matter is, I don't know if any of those have an edge. You know, bees are bees, whether they're in a, a wall, a top bar hive, a Langstroth hive, they're the same. One fellow called me and he said, hey, I'm, I want to get a top bar hive. And I said, how come? And he said, because I like the idea of natural comb because I've heard that they pull out their own comb rather than taking the impression off of the uh, wax or the plastic and building it to that size, that they'll build their comb according to the size they want to build it to. I said, well, you don't have to buy a top bar hive to do that. Just put, just pop out the plastic insert, you know, or tear out your wax frames and let them build their own <laughs> wax in a Langstroth hive. If that's your only reason, you don't have to, <coughs> you know, um, set aside your Langstroth hive. But we don't want to probably, we don't have time to address all those different issues. I don't, I don't really, I'm not all that fond of smaller size cells in university studies that really hasn't shown to be any better improvement over mites and such. 
but some people do say the bees will make a slightly 4.6 or 4.9 millimeter size cellus as opposed to 5 or 5.2 in the traditional. Um, but I think probably the best thing is going to say some people, I, 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 I'm hoping this year, I hope everybody that has a Langstroth hive and has kept bees for a year might want to experiment with a top bar hive. They're just something, they're fun. It gets back to what you said. They're just fun. There's no, what, some people are listening, they've probably never heard of a top bar hive. They've probably heard of TVH, but not <laughs> when you abbreviate is it. That a, is that a channel on TV? <laughs> yeah, now tuned to TVH, the top bar hive channel. Hmm. No, but I, I think people should really experiment with it. It's kind of fun. Yeah, um, it, does, it does look fun. Yeah, it there's fun. And the reason, do you, do you know, um, not you, Sherry, but those of you listening, do you know why they're called top bar hive? It's because when you look at the frame, the only part of the frame that's there is the top bar of the frame. There's no there's no <laughs> sides to the frame, no bottom on the frame, just a little tiny piece of wood sticking out that they build their comb on and they hang it down. This is a top bar hive where it's kind of triangular shaped toward the bottom. It gets smaller. And so the bees build their comb on each of those little bars hanging across the top. And get this, the top bar makes the lid. But as Americans, we kind of don't feel comfortable with that, so we put another lid on there. But traditionally, that top bar is kind of sealed off because they touch each other. Well, isn't isn't it traditionally <coughs> top bar hives are, um, you know, like in Africa and places like that? Maybe they don't need lids, but here in the north, you would need a lid. Oh, that's a good point. But I think, you know, actually I read tradi- or, um, historically we believe they first originated in Greece. But it, you do find in... Um, Underdeveloped countries, or you call it developing countries, they are they are easier because they're not expensive. You know, a lot of those kind of mimic a trunk on a tree, but uh, they, you can build those out of four pieces of wood in a hurry, and um, they're easy. And that's that's what we struggle with our top bar hive. Do you make it fancy looking? Because some people are building these top bar hives, which are supposed to be kind of crude, kind of natural, kind of thrown together things. But some people are making them like mom's hope chests. I mean, they're beautiful. You know what I mean? They have windows and, and hinged hinged tops to them. And you know why I didn't want to go with making copper tops. <laughs> yeah, here's why I didn't like the idea of a hinged top. You saw how big the top is. Oh man, the thing is heavy. Yeah, but hinge it. And what do you have? You have this big top like this. Whoop. Now what do you have? It's like a parachute. Yeah. When the wind blows and you're working your hives, I'm afraid it would catch that yeah, top. Off, you know, because yeah. we could easily hinge it. The other thing is it's hard to pull a frame out when you have your lid, the top hinged right there by your frames. You can't get your hand over there. So oh, that's true. Yeah, better. To, and and, and you, you can just set it off. It's no big deal. So y- you said it's fun. You know, it would be fun for people just to have it. But what? who would be the kind of person who would need a top bar hive over a Langstroth? What, what is it they're doing with it that you would encourage them to get a top bar hive before a Langstroth hive? I'll answer it according to what I've read and what people have said, okay, because I have my own answer. But I would say most of those people would say, I believe it's better. It's organic. It's natural. It's green. It mimics bees and nature. Um, because they'll, they'll give you reasons like they're building their own comb. Their own, they're producing their own wax. You know how you, you told me that organic um, honeybees 
the colonies had to something about the wax. They couldn't the wax well, on an organic. Hive. Yeah, if you have to be certified organic, the, if you use plastic frames, that it has to be sprayed with beeswax that is organic. Beeswax. Yeah, yeah. So in this case, they could they could do that because they're going to let their bees make their own wax. See what I mean? Nothing is sprayed on. Nothing right. is a foundation. Right, but we already determined that you could do that with a Langstroth hive. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So, who? What would be the main reason for having a top bar hive over a Langstroth hive? It's. They would say it's more natural. They build their own comb. Um, it's all horizontal. You know, it's. Can't everybody see that in Radio Land? Well. I'm making a horizontal frame motion with my hand. Where the Langstroth hive is, it's horizontal a little bit, but it goes on top of each other. Bah, 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 bah. Yeah, well, what's wrong with that? Bees go up. They don't go across. One time I took some out of a house between the two floors, and they went where the space was between the two it's floors. Like, yeah. But I'm saying, I guess what I'm saying is, are we a bit defensive of our Langstroth <laughs> hive there? I'm defensive because you won't answer the question. I've answered it. You've denied everything <laughs> you, I've you said. You say it's more natural. That doesn't make any sense to me. Oh, I see. It okay. It's a box. Well, look, go along. In a yard. That's no more natural than this other box they're in building the their yard. Own, they're building their own wax. And you can do that in a Langstroth not hive. Re- not really. Okay. If, uh, not really. Because if you put all empty comb in a Langstroth hive, they may build it the other ways. The other way, and and bind all of your frames together. Yeah, but I've heard people say that those top bar hives, those things get all uh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And everything. So, what? Now remember, we're gonna try to we're trying to sell the top bar hive here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do we need to pause this and have a little meeting? I want people to determine why. Now we may only. I'm glad I only built one hive so far. I'm gonna have to really struggle to sell that one top bar hive. One top bar hive cannot sell it. No, I really want people to get in their minds why they want it before they call because if they're gonna ask me if it's a good idea, I'm gonna say. I don't know what you want it for. You know, what? what is your reasoning? Okay, maybe this will make you feel better. Some people just say, you know what, I'm really not going crazy about adding a thousand hives to my property. I don't want to really take honey off. I just want it for pollination. I just want to have bees in my garden. Then you might say, you know what, I bet a top bar hive is really going to look nice in, out there. Let's face it, you're not going to get a semi-truck of a commercial beekeeper with 15,000 top bar hives going to California. <laughs> it ain't going to happen. Or... You need fair better. Okay, yeah, right. that, yeah that's, that's what I was getting at. So people who are using top bar hives are people who are... Well, you know, I've had, you know, a lot of people that call and do say, you know, I'm not concerned about the honey. I'm not interested in that honey. I just think I ought to keep bees. So this would probably be a real good way for them just to keep bees. Yeah, I think I think so. Okay, so let's wrap up Top Bar Hives. Our, our son-in-law, Dustin, is actually going to be the one building them. He's going to be selling them through our company. And he's going to be uh, heading up some queen production this year, too. So in spite of Sherry's uh, harsh and unmovable opinions about what I said. I'd like to get a top bar hive and put it out in the I would, too. And I coated this one with boiled linseed oil, you know, the outside coating. It's a wood preservative. Mm. I think we're going to auction this one off on eBay because it's the first one. Yeah. Will we sign it? Will you sign it? I don't know. I don't think we're that well known. We could... (laughs) 
It might make the price go down, actually. <laughs> no, I was going to give you a lot for it, and I realize your name's on it. Yeah. Somebody took a, a Sharpie marker to that thing, and now it's not so pretty. Hmm. Yeah, right. I don't know. So we'll, we'll, we'll anyway, that's, an, that's, that's what we're going to be doing. We're still going to be primarily making Langstroth, traditional highs, but also adding equipment. Pest and disease is a segment of our podcast that we always like to talk about. Doom, doom, doom. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one for pest and disease. You said the word doom, too. Doom, doom, doom. doom. <laughs> but, you know, we wrestle with pests and diseases. What I'm excited about, and maybe it's too good to be true, but there's a mightaway quick strip that's being introduced this year. It's been approved by the EPA. And instead of the traditional formic acid, pads or gel this is going to be in a strip that we can put in our hives and all the tests and all the talk so far it seems like a miracle hmm. against varora destructor hmm. and so um, anyway we're going to have to wait and you know, the jury is still out once beekeepers can get it and start using it it's supposed to be about 95 to 99 percent effective on mites it kills the male mite in the cell it kills the mites on the bees it wipes them out. I don't think it's going to get 100% or solve all of our problems, but I think we'll see a lot more survival of the colonies that people do keep if they can. And what I like about it is a biopesticide. You know what that is, Sherry? Um, well, bio would mean biological. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, baking soda is considered by the EPA. It can be used as a biopesticide as well as... Uh, What's that oil that I'm thinking of? Carno car I never can say that word. Canola? Canola oil is a biopesticide. Something natural that fights a pest. It's less toxic and it seems to only target the pests and not the 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 bees. In this case, this is uh formic acid. Formic acid, if you've ever gotten stung by a red ant or you look you kinda of make a little blister on you, it's actually formic acid they drop on you and and uh, kind of burn your skin with that. But formic acid, I believe, as I understand it, I've talked to the people that are making it. They say it's already in the hive. It's already in nature. It's already around us. It's already in the honey and stuff. So it's not a real toxic chemical. Uh, but it can be if used in improperly in large amounts. So, it, But it's not a synthetic pesticide like a nerve agent, for example. This is a more... Uh, I would I would not call it an organic treatment, but certainly a more natural type treatment. But it still has to be controlled and regulated. So keep looking at that, folks, about your pests and diseases. Maybe using uh, formic acid. What I like about it, you can use it while the honey supers are on. is 3% more effective with the honey supers on. And so it doesn't get in the honey. It goes into the honey, but then it evaporates out, taking even more formic acid out with it. So it's a very safe product in the hive. All right, Sherry, I have the next section as public promotion. When's the last time we ever publicly promoted honeybees? Um, what? A week ago. Oh, you mean when we go and talk? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we don't privately promote them. Like we stand in the, stand in the kitchen and we promote honeybees. I think this big window is hurting you because you're staring out there and you're daydreaming out that big window. That's yeah. a nice window. We just had that replaced. Yeah, it is a nice window. This Although is, we're off the topic. Yeah, we might yeah. lose that guy. Yeah, oh yeah. well. Let's get back on the topic. All right. 
Um, public promotion. Let's see. We went and we spoke. Um, One more thing about this window. Yeah. When men put windows in, the, in a home, this is like a window we had to replace. Do you notice we never really finished the trim work? <laughs> With a man, it's that 80-20 thing. Yeah. They, they get things 80% done and then... And then it just kind of... It's good enough. It kind it? Of, yeah, it's just kind of good enough. So, yeah, it's got a lot of work yet to do. But it's sealed off. It's in place. It's caulked. The weather's not bleeding through. It works. So, you it know, works. it's caulked. Maybe that's why some men lose their colonies. They they only work 80% and the, don't really treat for pests and diseases. Well, you know, unfortunately, I think that's true. We were talking to a... Or, I guess... You were talking to a, an elderly gentleman not too long ago, and he was talking about how he always has big plans when it gets to be winter time, and then mm-hmm. and then he never does follow through with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's probably that eighty twenty thing, is. you yeah, know. And he hard. probably could, you know, get the rest of them through the winter if he just did a hundred percent. Yeah. The, with the you know, some years I say, oh, I was going to put my entrance reducers on all my highs to keep the mice out before it got cold, and I did. <laughs> All right, okay, but uh, so we had anyway, fun. Oh, oh, when we we went, we went to Arthur last Saturday, Arthur, Illinois, which is an Amish community, and the um, um, the beekeeping club there, which I would say is ninety five percent Amish. I don't know if they're an official club yet. I think they're oh, thinking about it. Really, yeah. really. So they invited us to come out, and and we went out there for the day, and and there were probably twenty or thirty, um, mostly Amish, but there some weren't. I just said that. I didn't hear that. I must have been looking at that eighty percent finished window. That window and not thinking about it. And so, um, but we had a good time there. They, um, um, you know, took some orders, took some hives. I have this, you know, really cool picture of uh, an Amish buggy that pulled up, and a couple of guys took our hives out and put them in the back of that that buggy, and and. Um, I'm going to put that on my it blog, too. That's that's a neat shot you took. Yeah, it is a neat shot. I don't think you can take pictures of Amish people, but there was none right there at the moment. So we were trying no. to re-respect their... The horse turned its head. But <laughs> other than that, there, were, there were no people there. But um, so, um, yeah, we, we did that. And um, what else have you done? Well, the March the 4th is coming right up. It goes It goes along with our last segment on pests and diseases. So March the 4th is a Friday from 6 to 8. You can show up here. I realize some of you are in New Zealand and, you know, Africa. Maybe you can't make it. But <laughs> those of you that are in central Illinois or in Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, Missouri, Wisconsin, all these close-by states, come on down. We're going to spend two hours and be more specific about, um, you know, how to deal, how to identify and deal with pests and diseases. If we get better at that, I think 80% of hives that die, Sherry, is just poor management. I think really we can, we can have better survival now if people get better. So that's March the 4th. And um, then I'm going to be speaking in Decatur at a bee club uh, school. They're having in Decatur. And I've March the 12th, I think. Sounds right. I'm speaking on urban beekeeping. What better person could they get than a guy that lives a quarter mile away from anybody? <laughs> but anyway, you know, you don't have to do something to know something. So anyway, I'm going to be speaking on urban beekeeping. And then on March the 19th, we're really excited. We've reserved the Farm Bureau building, a great facility. That's our beginner's beekeeping class. We still have room. Tell all your friends, come and hang out with us on Saturday, March the 19th from 9 to 3 Central Time. We'll have a great time. And then our local bee club, 
Central Eastern Illinois Beekeepers Club, which is too hard to say, so we call it SEBA. I'm the prez of that, and we're offering our class at Parkland College starting, hmm, March the 10th on every Thursday night for six Thursday nights. So if you want to sign up for that and you're in your area, go to Parkland College, call them up, tell them you want to sign up for the beekeeping class, get signed up. The deadline is March the 3rd, maybe, I don't know. It's a week, so you need to sign up in the next week or two. Then I'll be speaking in Arkansas, in Little Rock, uh, in May. A friend and I, are, uh, he's asked me to come. He's a friend of mine in Arkansas, John, whose last name I cannot pronounce, but he's a great guy. <laughs> and uh, we're going to be, I'll be speaking in Arkansas then, and maybe some other places <clears throat> here and there that I've forgotten. But that's a way to promote some beekeeping things. All right, uh, Beginner's Briefing is a segment that we have to help beginners brief them on new things. And what would you say, Sherry, that a beginner needs to be mindful of? Anything come to mind? I kind of caught you off guard, didn't I? <laughs> I think a beginner right now needs to know to buy your equipment. You know, don't wait and, and, and forget to get all your things, all your ducks in a row. If you're a beginner right now, make sure you have your equipment purchased or purchase it soon. It's going to take longer to get it now. Everybody's getting just inundated all across the board. Beekeeping has exploded. It's unbelievable, Sherry. I, I, and two other things, and I, and I think we've brought them out before, but um, yeah, I think it always bears to bring out. Uh, another thing is what I get on the phone a lot of times uh, constantly is people who say, well, if I buy this um, hive package kit that you have, is that everything that I need? And I say, you know, the reason we put those packages together like that is because it is very confusing to a brand-new beekeeper to open up one of those catalogs from the big guys yeah. that are, you know, I don't know how many pages in there, and there's just equipment after equipment after equipment and you're sitting there looking at that going i have no idea what i need what i don't need what's good what's just wants you know so we put it together for you so you're not sitting there and you your eyes glass over and you fall asleep because you have no idea what it is that you need it's all there don't worry about it it's everything is there but that is um one good thing about our kits um, is that everything's there. The the other thing is the fact that our kits, right now they still do. They're, they're going to run out pretty soon, but they come with the bees. Not We don't put the bees in the hive and then show them <laughs> yeah. you, but you can buy your hive, your starter kit, and a package of bees, and I don't know anybody else that does that. I think we might be one of the – there might be a couple of um, – um, no, I don't think I have seen that. I, you know, I don't. I think there might be a guy in Ohio that does it, but I'm, I'm not for it sure. Maybe pick up only though. <clears throat> but um, as far as I know, we're the only ones that do it. So you know, you've got the whole thing. In other words, you don't have to go, you know, run, you know, go to the big guys and and buy some equipment, and then they say, "We're sorry, we don't do bees," and then you're chasing bees all over the U.S. because you don't know where to call, you don't know who to talk to. You know, we we put the whole thing together for you, and, and that's kind of um, a niche for us. And the other thing for beginners too that you need to remember is the question I get all the time is feeding. I had a um, I talked to a fella yesterday that um, he had gotten all of his stuff from another company, and for whatever reason they weren't answering his questions, and so he called us up. 
And, and I took the time to answer his questions. He had been under the impression that he was supposed to start feeding them last year in the spring and April, and he still to this day has still fed them continually. So he fed them all year. So he's <clears throat> he's fed them all year. and um, I don't think that's good. No, it's not. It's it makes not a lazy good. hive, doesn't it? Yeah, it's just completely unnatural. And if you get any honey, it's not really honey. And um, and I'm not so sure that that's all the good, all that good for the bees. It's to not. Too, it's not. So, yeah. so remember, you can feed your bees when you first get them. You can feed them for a week or two, but as soon as you start seeing flowers out there, you need to stop feeding them. Yeah, that's so true. That's all right, and that goes right into seasonal suggestion because I want mm-hmm. to talk about late winter feeding. A lot of people are calling up now saying, "There's Christian in the background." A lot of people calling up saying, "How do I feed my bees now? What do I do?" And, you know, we, we advocate candy boards in the um, in the winter. Yeah, but, you know, candy boards are great for the winter. But then when you get into late winter, when the bees can fly more, what I like to do is start stimulating them to raise more brood for the spring harvest of nectar. And so I'll take, my here's my simple way. There's a lot of methods. But I'll take a uh, regular jar, like a quart or half-gallon glass jar with the little holes in the lid that you traditionally would use on an entrance feeder. And I take that jar and I just open up my hive till I get down to where the cluster is. They're usually on top this time of the year. And I put my jar, just I just put it right on top of the frames. Now, you can leave your inner cover on with the oval-shaped hole. Put your jar right at the hole so that the bees can slip up there. You know, when you have that jar so close to the cluster, they don't really have to break cluster to be fed. And I lay a pollen patty on top of that, too. And then I have to put another, like a deep hive empty box around it so that it can still have a top to it. And then um, that's how I like to feed them now because, and I've watched them. They're not really eating that much. They have a lot of honey on there. But, you know, if they need to, this is a great way to get them stimulated. One-to-one sugar water. Um, they can start uh, maybe raising more brood. You'll have a bigger population in the spring. So that's my suggestion on, on late winter feed. I would not put an entrance feeder on a colony in late winter. They're not going to break cluster to go down there. Even on a nice day, I've found they just don't go down there and eat that entrance feeder until it gets really, really, really warm like you would find in, well, in Illinois in April when you install your packages and it's warm outside in May. You know, then they're flying in. They do good on an entrance feeder, but not in the winter time. Magnificent mistakes, Sherry. I've got an email from Jeff, who says, "I don't think we've read this before because he just sent it February the fifth." And our last podcast, by the way, was not November the eighth. We did do one in January, so uh, give us some benefit here. Once a month, isn't it? Yeah, once a month. That's a lot for us. He says, early last spring, I had a couple of die-outs. Both hives had two deep hive bodies, so I ordered a couple of packages to go back in them. When the packages arrived, instead of breaking each down to a single deep, I left them too deep. Well, it didn't take long for the wax moths to move in and take over. I'm assuming there were not enough bees to keep them out of two boxes, and the bees were quickly driven out. That is a mistake I should never have made. A full hive is a healthy hive. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? 
Don't, yeah, you want to keep them as congested, oops, as crowded, not congested, but as crowded as possible. So when you install your package, only put them in one deep hive body, and that way those numbers of bees can keep strange things from coming in the front of the door. If you have a magnificent mistake, be sure and send it in. Email us at david at honeybeesonline.com. And we would love to read your mistake and embarrass you <laughs> as well. That's the only time we won't say your name, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, we would never want to say Jeff's name, would we? Okay, but uh, email me at david at honeybeesonline.com with your magnificent mistake. Um, uh, let's see, got a couple more things I want to talk about before we end our program today. Believe it or not, uh, we're almost at the end of our broadcast, but... I just thought we'd go over about anything that uh, is right around the corner. Things are coming up that that we would need to tell you about. I think we told you about some of our classes that are right around the corner. Package bees are not too far around the corner. And we're sending out uh, notices and updating websites all the time about our package bees. Uh, beekeeping in general is right around the corner. So you need to get ready. Uh, be be on red alert because right around the corner, spring will be here. And already down south, I was talking to my friend John in Arkansas. He said bees are bringing in pollen. They're flying. You know, Sherry, it's going to be good. So the whole season is right around the corner. Hey, folks, and don't forget, check out my blog at itsbasicbeekeeping.blogspot.com. Regularly, I tell you how to log on to my another podcast that I do where you can call in and be a part of it live. And I really need you there. Uh, if you're listening and can dial a phone number, you can just, on your phone, be a part of that uh, podcast. And so I've got instructions on my uh, beekeeping blog on how you can do that. And uh, do visit Sherry's blog, too. She has a lot of fun things on her blogs as well as how to, you know, how about honey, how to cook with honey. And uh, what was the address for Sherry's blog again is? SherryBurns.blogspot.com. That's H-E-R-I-B-U-R-N-S. All right, let's read a few emails in closing, Sherry. I think I had some... Some good ones here. Uh, this is from Randall. He says, Mr. Burns, I was pleased to find your podcast available for listening. I do have a question. A couple of things I heard in the January podcast. Aha, uh-huh, we did have a January podcast. Evidence right here from Randall. He listened. He said, number one, powdered sugar treatment. Your You advocate treatment with powdered sugar, but I have heard... It is of negligible effect. (laughs) I tried it myself in 2009 until I saw the study discounting it. I also tried the mineral oil, but that was also regarded as a waste of time. A couple of things about that. Um, It does work. And if you want to test it, well, take 200 bees, put them in a quart jar, add a cup of powdered sugar, put a screen on the quart jar, shake them up, and shake the powder out, and you'll see the mites drop off the bees. It's a a way of testing mites on bees. So it does work. (coughs) I mean, all right, now, what he's saying is probably right. This word negligible. 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 You you remember that? Yeah, but you don't know what that BA stood for. (laughs) It's not a degree thing. It's just I'm having trouble saying that word today. (laughs) Negligible. 
<laughs> I like the way you say it. <laughs> Meg, Meg, I can't even say it now. Nobody can say it. I don't think it's spelled right to begin with. Oh, that's, more, that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, to what extent does it help? That's what's debatable. Is it 5% effective, 20%, 50%? But then all you have to do is do it, and then if you slide a little board under their screen after you dust them, and you'll see there's a bunch of mites down there, so they do fall off. Now, no, it's not a magic bullet. You can't wave the wand over it. There's silver no, bullet. I'm sorry. Yeah, there's silver no bullet. silver bullet. No. <laughs> but it, it is part part of is what we like to say. Part of an integrated mite, uh, integrated pest management uh, approach. So that's just one aspect that will help you. Mm-hmm. Bee space. You discuss bee space and the inner cover. I consider it quite useful to have bee space above and below the cover surface. This discourages bees attaching comb or propolis, causing difficulty removing the inner and outer covers. The bee space also allows an upper entrance to be cut into the rail. In the winter, I put the entrance up for ventilation, and during the honey flow, put the upper entrance down to allow easier access to the supers. Again, that's just all preference. Uh, Randall, it's um, um, bees, like, let let me put it to you this way. Bees in a tree do not have an inner cover. (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, bees don't have to have an inner cover. They don't have to have the little upper entrance and exits. Bees in a tree have one little hole somewhere. Bees in walls have one little hole. They don't have inner covers. And We've got that one friend who doesn't have inner covers, and he just puts trash bags, do you remember, over the top of his... Frames, so he certainly isn't. Oh, that's right. They, you know, I've noticed another people are doing that. They yeah, you know, they don't care for the inner covers. They don't serve uh, them on purpose, so they don't they don't use them. I watched a video on YouTube of a many years ago of a German beekeeper, and she had uh, it wasn't trash bags, but it was like a Visiqueen yeah. for inner covers. You know, yeah. sealed it right off. You know, yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, I can understand Randall's uh, what he's saying, and if, if that works for him, then certainly by all means do it. But migratory beekeepers don't use inner covers; they just have a migratory lid, which is a piece of plywood on a hive. You know, mm-hmm. but bees bees will be bees. Um, it may be a slight advantage, but not huge. But I'm glad. I wonder if Randall is one of the eleven, or could he be number twelve? A twelfth listener. I don't know. That's cool. Is that it, Sherry? Anything else in these paperworks here? Okay. Well, it's been fun having another Studio Be Live broadcast, and Sherry and I hope to do more. We can't make that promise. (laughs) Not this time of the year. It's just hard to get in front of the microphone and. And uh, Sherry, when you call on the phone too, don't be upset if David cannot come to the phone. No, <laughs> <laughs> so many people call and want to talk to David. And it takes me a while to get to my email this time of the year too. It does, especially with the uh, numbers that are coming in. We yeah. will have people on a daily basis say, "But I emailed you." <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, there could be a hundred sitting there for us to go through. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Don't that. don't give up. I mean, still email us and call us. We're here, but we're just you know, don't be offended if it takes us a, a day or two or three to kind of get back to things to you. So be patient with us. We're doing the best we can. We do appreciate all of our customers. They're fantastic. We've had another uh, just great year of helping more people understand what it means to be a beekeeper and how to in- introduce a lot of people to beekeeping. So 
this is what we do, and we're, uh, we make our living doing this. So we really hope that you'll support our business. We realize you have other options. So when you come here to buy uh, beekeeping supplies from us, we want to say thank you because your loyalty means a lot to us. If you want to get in contact with us, again, email us at david at honeybeesonline.com. And you can call us at 217-427-2678 and visit our website, which is still being redone. It's going to be introduced as a new website soon, honeybeesonline.com. We'd love for you to come by and visit uh, our website. And uh, do consider the Top Bar Hive. It's going to be on our website probably within the week. And uh, you'll get to see it and uh, might want to buy one to help our son-in-law get started in his top bar hive business. So keep that in mind as well. Anything else, Sherry, that you'd like to say? No, just have a good week. Yeah, are you getting ready to make supper pretty soon? I am. I think I'll make pizza tonight. Yeah, that's not organic, is it? Uh, The ingredients can be organic, yeah. Any honey in the pizza? Uh, I think that Crest does have honey in it, yes. Oh, there you go. That's fun. Let me go back uh, to Christian, and I'll see if he can tell everybody goodbye. He's always always likes to talk on a microphone. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, what are you doing back there? Mm. Are you eating something? You have to, don't shake your head. you got to talk with your mouth. What are you eating, a cupcake? What are you doing? We were talking on the radio. On the radio. Yep. And you're eating a cupcake? Is it good? All right. Well, we're going to go, and we wanted you to tell everybody goodbye. Goodbye? Yep. Tell them goodbye. Goodbye. All right. Thanks for listening to Studio B Life. See you next time. We're going by. Bye-bye.